the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Now, you know, he only is going to entrust that to people who are super spiritually mature like these individuals. Because if he gave that to you and me, we'd go around blowing fire on everybody that bothered us. So he knows you can't handle this, right? So he gives this ability, though, to these two witnesses. That for three and a half years, whenever anybody tries to harm them, they just breathe fire and they kill anybody. So how many times does that have to happen before you realize probably shouldn't mess with these guys? Do you know? Have you ever wondered who the two witnesses in the book of Revelation are? Maybe you've even heard some theories about them. Some say Elijah and Moses, or maybe Enoch. Well, Pastor Gary is going to share about some of those thoughts today as he discusses these mysterious and powerful witnesses. As we get closer to the time when all of this takes place, it serves as a reminder for us to be witnesses to those around us. Share the truth and love of Jesus with everyone before we run out of time. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 11 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We are here in the book of Revelation, so we're going to be in chapter 11. Let me orient us again on our timeline of events. This is where we are in the book of Revelation between chapter 6 and 18. This is the period of the referred to as the seven years of tribulation, which will come upon the earth at some time in the future. I believe when you look at the timeline of events in Scripture, that Revelation chapter 4 presents the argument that the church represented by the Apostle John who was taken up into heaven and thus everything else he writes, he sees from, if you will, the mezzanine of heaven. He sees what is happening on earth. He's a picture of the church taken up before the tribulation period. And so this is a thing that is going to come upon the earth, seven years of cataclysmic events, natural disasters, things that God will use to awaken unbelievers one last time. And in Revelation 6 through 18, these different judgments are revealed through a series of events. The first, we've already made our way through, the opening of seven seals, a scroll that is opened and it details, Jesus opens the scroll and reads different events that are coming upon the earth in terms of the tribulation. That is followed by seven trumpets that are blown, angels that God assigns to blow these different trumpets. Every time they blow a trumpet, they announce a judgment. We have so far made it through six of the seven trumpets. And then following the seven trumpets are seven bowls that are poured out. These are 
bowls, or some translations say vials that get poured out, and with the pouring out of these bowls uh, come more judgments. And so we're, we're not yet to the judgment of the bowls. Where we are right now is chapter 11, and chapter 11 asks this main question, who are the two witnesses? But let me first pray, and then we will read from chapter 11, and then I'll bring you up to speed where we left off. But let's first open up with the word of prayer. Lord, as we come before you, we're just grateful for your grace and, and your love. And even though these chapters are heavy and they're, they're hard to, to read in many respects, we know and understand that your very nature is love. You are love. And so you, you will demonstrate these events that come upon the earth because you love people enough that you will rouse them from their their spiritual apathy and because you are wanting to reach the earth's population one last time before it's too late before there will be the ultimate heaven and earth a new heaven a new earth and and only your children only those who belong to you will be with you forever and so lord even as we read these things stir our hearts for our friends and our loved ones and our neighbors who don't know you that we would be more intentional about sharing our faith so that as many people as possible might be saved and thus escape the coming tribulation. And so guard our hearts, Lord, from fear. Guard our hearts from discouragement. Help us to read these things because you've given them to us in advance. We might be ready and that we might have a heart for the lost. And so stir those things in us. That's our prayer, Lord, as we read through these passages. And we love you and we praise you together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. All right, chapter 11 of Revelation. Let me just read the first five verses. That's about where we left off last week, uh, first six verses. It says, Then I was given a reed. This is John the Apostle writing. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel uh, stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles." And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire." And so here's where we left off. I'll just quickly run through these, these few things that we looked at last week. We, we understand from what the passage is telling us here in verse 1, where the temple is located. Uh, a little bit later, we didn't read it in verse 8. It says where their Lord was crucified. And so it gives us the location of these two witnesses. It is none other than the city of Jerusalem. Their commission is to preach a message of repentance because in verse 3 it talks about how they are called to prophesy and they are wearing sackcloth, which was an outfit indicative of uh, grief and mourning. So when these guys appear, 
on the earth in the future, they will look like they've come from the past. I mean, they're going to be, you know, wearing ancient garb of sackcloth. And so they're going to look very out of place, which is intentional. It's God's way of saying, do you see these guys who look really out of place, like they've come from 2,000 years ago or even more, uh, beyond even 2,000 years ago? That's because um, they are from the past, but they're in the present, and I've raised these prophets up to speak to those who are living in the earth during that time. And the duration of their ministry is 1,260 days. It tells us that. And using the ancient Babylonian calendar of 360 days a year, not like ours, 365 days a year, it comes to exactly three and a half years. And in this chapter, it tells us 42 months, and it tells us 1,260 days, And both represent three and a half years. But there's a midpoint here in the seven years of tribulation, which is why John is writing using two different terms. 1,260 days refers to the first three and a half years. These prophets, these witnesses, will come during the first half of the seven years of tribulation. And then the latter half of the seven years of tribulation, the last three and a half years, are referred to as 42 months. So that's how the language delineates between the first half and the last half of the tribulation period. But that's their duration here. They're coming for the first three and a half years, and God calls them to basically evangelize. To For the three and a half years, he sends them on the earth, in Jerusalem in particular, to evangelize the lost. And they're just going to go around preaching the gospel. They're going to be talking about Jesus. They're going to be telling people how to get saved. Again, in the midst of all of this chaos and and cataclysmic disaster, you have to see God inserts himself. And he's constantly bringing a message of grace and opportunities for people to get saved. Now, unfortunately, what we read in in the Bible in Revelation is that many people will still be stubborn and refuse to yield. But nevertheless, that doesn't stop God. He continues to get his word out, to get his name out, to get the message of hope and forgiveness and redemption out. Whether people accept it or not, that's that's their choice. But God is always actively working so that as many people as possible might get saved and spend eternity with him because the end of the age is about to happen. At the end of the book of Revelation, we have a new heaven and a new earth. Present heaven, present earth is going to disappear. And so it's going to be the end of the age. It's going to be a new kingdom age. And God wants as many people to get on board as possible. So he sends these two witnesses here to prophesy, to minister, to share the gospel for three and a half years. And for the people who try to harm them, um, God gives them the supernatural protection, the ability to breathe fire like a dragon. Now, you know, he only is going to entrust that to people who are super spiritually mature like these individuals. Because if he gave that to you and me, we'd go around blowing fire on everybody that bothered us. So he knows you can't handle this, right? So he gives this ability, though, to these two witnesses. That for three and a half years, whenever anybody tries to harm them, they just breathe fire and they kill anybody. So how many times does that have to happen before you realize probably shouldn't mess with these guys, you know? And so that's, that's the ability that God has given them to, for their own protection. Now, we're going to see in a little bit that they do get assassinated. So the three and a half years, God divinely protects them, but then 
things tragically turn here, only for God to be glorified in in that. But before I share all of that, who are these guys? Who are these two witnesses? Now, I will first tell you who some Bible scholars, some, I'm going to give you kind of the minority view, and then I'll tell you the majority view. Some believe that these two individuals might very well be Joshua and Zerubbabel. Now, not the Joshua of the days of Moses, but in Zechariah chapter 4, Joshua is a high priest, Zerubbabel is like a governor, and in Zechariah chapter 4, these guys are referred to as these olive trees and lampstands. When you look here in chapter 11 in your Bibles of Revelation, chapter 11, in verse 4, it makes this reference to these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. So some think it's a reference to Zechariah chapter 4, and that these two witnesses are the, the priest Joshua and the governor Zerubbabel brought back to life because, you know, they presently, as followers of God would be in heaven, and that God brings them to earth on assignment, gives them physical form again, that they might be his witnesses. That's one thought. Another school of thought is that these two individuals are Elijah and Enoch, because one of the things that Elijah and Enoch had in common was that they were both taken up to be with the Lord, and in a sense did not experience physical death. Remember, Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire. Enoch walked walked with God, and then he was no longer like God took him. So these are two Old Testament characters, and some say it could be Elijah and Enoch. Uh, but I, I will tell you where I lean, and this is, this is probably the majority view of what Bible scholars believe based on the text, and I'll explain why it probably is, in fact, Elijah and Moses. It's probably Elijah and Moses. Now, again, we can't be definitive. They're not named here. But I'm, I'm going to make the argument as to why they probably are Elijah and Moses. And the first one is, you can turn or you can just listen, but all the way back at the, in the end of the Old Testament, the last book of the, la- of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, mentions both of these guys. And the last prophet of the Old Testament talks about how God's not done with them. Listen to what Malachi writes, Malachi 4. This is Malachi 4, verse 4 through 6. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That's the way the Old Testament ends. The mention of Moses, who often represents the law, and the mention of Elijah, who often represents the prophets. And when you think about the summary of the Old Testament, one could say it's represented by Moses and Elijah. It's represented by the law and the prophets. That's basically the summary of the Old Testament scriptures. So that's the way the Old Testament ends with a reminder about Moses and the law that God gave him, the Ten Commandments and laws following, and Elijah, the one who will, he says here, appear again before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and how he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So there's going to be this prophetic event that is still to happen in regards to Elijah, and then again Moses mentioned here. I think another significant event that happens where both of these guys guys appear in your New Testament is in Matthew chapter 17. 
In Matthew chapter 17, this is the event where right after Matthew 16, when Jesus takes his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi, he has this wonderful conversation with them. It's a teaching moment where Jesus says, who do men say that I am? They say, well, some say that you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're John the Baptist, come back to life. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter in Matthew 16 makes that wonderful profession of faith and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, you're sharp, but you're not that sharp. That my Father revealed that to your spirit, that's why you said that, and upon this rock I will build my church. Upon the confession of what Peter said, not upon Peter himself as the first pope, okay? But upon the profession of faith, that's the rock upon which Christ has built his church. Not on a man, but on the profession of faith that Jesus Christ is the Christ. He is the Lord. And then what happens immediately on the heels of that is Matthew 17, where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. He takes those three. He kind of had an inner circle among his 12. And he took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain where he then was transfigured before them. So Matthew 17 is about the Mount of Transfiguration. What happens is there's this supernatural moment where Jesus is um, glowing in the glory of God. And it tells us this in Matthew 17. I'll just read a little bit of it from verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, listen, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him, with Jesus. And thus Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So it's a very interesting thing that happens there in Matthew 17 where, you know, Moses and Elijah, who had been dead for centuries, appear in some form such that Peter, who had never met them before, recognizes them. So, by the way, I think that is an indication in Scripture that even though, um, you know, when, when you die and you go to heaven, if you know Christ is your Savior, and someone else in your family who has died and gone to heaven, and that you will be able to recognize your loved ones. Because here's an indication when Peter recognizes Moses and Elijah, and he never met them. And, I mean, they had been dead for centuries by the time that, that Peter comes around here. And yet he instinctively knew who they were. By some revelation of some kind where Peter recognized this is Moses and this is Elijah. And so Moses and Elijah appear there with Jesus. And, um, and Peter speaks up and in Matthew's gospel he says, you know, why don't we build three tabernacles or three huts? Like one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Why do you, th- why do you think he said that? I have a guess. My guess is because like most of us who are enjoying a wonderful moment, you want to preserve it. You want to preserve it. You know how it is when you, you like go on vacation and it's a last day vacation, like, ah, 
got to go home. You know, don't you want to preserve the moment and like, you know, and just kind of capture it? And so this was the best, this is the closest thing to being able to tweet out this event, all right? Because they didn't have it then that day. So, so Peter's just like, okay, I, I can't take a picture with my phone. So how about we at least build three tabernacles and just preserve the moment? One for you, Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And in Luke's gospel, when Luke tells the story, he says in parenthesis, Peter didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> it's, the Bible's funny. And he just didn't, he just was like caught up in the moment. He didn't really know what he was saying. And then after this voice from heaven, which was God the Father saying, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased, by the way, very similar to when Jesus was water baptized, right? Same voice, same saying. Then suddenly when Peter, James, and John looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone. But they appear there. They supernaturally appear. It's, it's, it's like they, they tag team in different places in the Bible. The end of Malachi 4. Matthew chapter 17 at the transfiguration. But there's another reason why I think it could likely be Elijah and Moses as the, as the witnesses here back in Revelation 11. And that's because of their particular powers. If you'll notice again in verse 6, it says, These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. Question. How long again, this is it's an open book test, okay? If you took notes, you should know this. How long again did these two witnesses minister on the earth? How long? Three and a half years. When do you remember the story of Elijah? In the Bible, in 1 Kings chapter, he first appears in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. He is Elijah the Tishbite. That sounds painful, doesn't it? It's, it's because he was from a town called Tishbe, so he was a Tishbite. Good thing he wasn't from a town called Tushby. But anyway, <laughs> think about it. You'll get it on the way home. All right. He appears, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, Elijah the Tishbite, a prophet that God raises up in 1 Kings 18. God sends him to Mount Carmel, this great showdown on Mount Carmel against the false prophets of Baal and Asherah as a way to confront evil King Ahab, who was king of Israel in the day, and his evil queen wife Jezebel. And God uses Elijah in this wonderful display of God's power to make a long story short. One of the things that Elijah did as a prophet of God sent to Israel to rebuke them for their idolatry and their sin was to pray that God would withhold rain. Because rain, the absence of it, was a sign of God's judgment. So there was a drought in Israel for three and a half years. The Bible says that Elijah prayed... And it did not rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again after the people repented as a result of the display of God on Mount Carmel. When the people repented of their idolatry and the prophets of Baal and Asherah were slaughtered, there was a revival in Israel. And the Bible says, then Elijah prayed again after three and a half years and it rained. James records it in his epistle, James five seventeen. It says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. God ended his judgment against the land of Israel when they repented, but it had not rained for three and a half years under the ministry of the prophet Elijah. It tells us here in Revelation eleven six: these have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. Three and a half years. It also says in the next sentence, and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues 
as often as they desire. In the book of Exodus, between chapter 7 and 12, God outlines a series of 10 plagues that he poured out upon the Egyptians who had enslaved the Hebrew people. And God raised up Moses as his prophet and Moses' brother Aaron as a spokesman to go to Pharaoh and demand that he release the Hebrew people after 400 years as slaves. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this edition in Revelation again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary through his Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or you can download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. It's a great way to have a quiet time anytime. You'll find a link on our website, along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. So send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. Prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Put a marker where we left off in this final book of the Bible and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time for more right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.